This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game today. We have got a guest from outside the industry. His name is Cullen Tate, and he's the author of Host Coach. We're going to talk a little bit today about short-term real estate investment. And you insurance producers out there are probably wondering why in the world are David and Kyle talking to a real estate guy? The fact of the matter is we're in one of the greatest industries on the face of this earth. And as a result of that, we have the ability to earn like nobody else with residual income and everything. And our mission here is not just to help you get better at sales and producing those middle market accounts, but to give you resources and introduce you to people that can help you maximize your wealth and change your family tree because we all have some level of liquid income that's just sitting there and we don't really always know what to do with it. And sometimes we get scared or we're nervous or we just simply don't know where to start. That's what we're going to hammer down today. So, Cullen, before we get started on what you're doing with with the book and in everything you're doing in short term rentals, why don't you just give us sort of your backstory and how you got to where you're at right now with yeah, Host Coach? Absolutely, thank you, David. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've really never had a W two job. I've uh, had companies from manufacturing to software as a service, and in 2018, I had sold a company. And was scratching my head. I was 48 years old thinking, all right, what's the next, you know, I got to spin up another company. What's it going to be? You know, and did I want to go through all that again? I had always been fascinated with real estate. Um, I had a, a rental cabin at the time, uh, just kind of in the woods, you know, that kind of place you just get away for a weekend. And I had started renting it out on Airbnb, uh, just due to requests from friends and was just blown away with the, the revenues that it was producing. And mm -hmm. so at that moment in the summer of 2018, instead of starting another company, I decided to dive into uh, full-time real estate investing. Okay. So that's an interesting jump to just jump into it full-time. I, I mean, there had to be some level of transition there, but you know, we were talking before we started recording and it's obvious and it's interesting, man, because we've had other real estate in investment people on here before and every one of them has their own kind of vertical or, or niche that they're going right. after. And they're all equally as passionate about theirs as the best. 
No matter no matter who you talk to. They're all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So so talk a little bit about, you know, what attracted you to the short term stuff, because to be completely transparent with you, I'm looking right now, um, right before the market turned, I was ready to start pulling the trigger. And then things got a little bit a little bit wonky with the real estate market. And specifically, we're going to procure some property in Key West, which is already exorbitantly expensive, but it got real crazy here um, over the course of the last year, year and a half. So um, talk a little bit about what what led you to that. And I'm going to be sitting back taking notes. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I I had owned a couple of long-term rental condo units and I really didn't get my fire from that. They always just kind of... uh, they didn't cash flow very strong, and it annoyed me when the guests are. As a guest, I'm hardwired here for short-term rentals. Uh, when you know tenants would call with issues, I own a commercial building. Um, it you know, couple million dollar commercial building for about ten years. It cash flowed well, but it didn't really appreciate. So while I had this interest in real estate. I always had this, these friends, right? When I was like in high school, you have that friend that, you know, parents had the beach house that they paid $46,000 for. And now it's the, you know, it's a house at the beach. Right. And I'd always, I'd always thought to myself, where are those deals for our generation? Is that kind of investment opportunity available to our generation? And I had this little cabin and um, we had it just for our family at first. And we were letting friends stay there. And then friends of friends wanted to stay. And we said, well, let's pop it up on Airbnb. And it just went, you know, it's been booked every weekend since every, huh. almost every day. We, we, we run nine properties at about 95% occupancy. So what got me excited about it? You know, I sort of lucked into it like uh, we often do in real estate and, and, and things in our career, but I saw the opportunity that um, to grow and scale, you know, if one property is making, you know, at the time it started off at like say $4,000 a month in gross, um, in 2018, yes, I did just make a hard decision to go and buy some more property. Luckily, I had you know some financial resources. Had, my wife was running another company, um, and then it got kind of interesting because I have a tech background, and and this is probably good good meat and potatoes part of this conversation, which is you're not guaranteed to make you know a fantastic return just buying any property and just putting it on Airbnb and taking some pictures with your cell phone. That's what most hosts do. And so as a tech entrepreneur, I started to like dig in, right? What makes Airbnb tick? Why why is one property doing better than another? And the first thing that you have to realize is that Airbnb at its core is a search engine like Google. You know, remember back 10, 15 years ago when websites, everybody was starting to have a website and there was really specific things that we could do to affect where our website would show for, you know, a search, say, you know, uh, middle market insurance, right? There's things that we could do, but over time it's become a little more challenging to, to, to make a, a page, you know, website um, rank, but in Airbnb where you place is, or on any of the short-term rental platforms, Airbnb, VRBO. So I just kind of use them interchangeably. Um, the most profitable properties are going to be the ones that get booked the most. And to get booked the most, you got to get shown the most. So the platforms have to make a decision. You know, if I have three, 500, 600 properties for a given search area, how do I decide in which order to show those? I can't show them all at once. I've got to show them in order. And we know that, you know, kind of like Google, if you're not on the first page, people aren't seeing you. Mm -hmm. So we got into some, you know, 
you know, I can just kind of go forward with this, you know, or just give you a second to kind of respond. Um, but I started to dig into what made that algorithm tick and how do we put a listing and keep a listing, you know, at the very top of placement. Yeah. I mean, I think the point about the pictures is huge. Like we just bought a new house ourselves and you go through Zillow and some of these other sites and you're looking at stuff. And when I see, when I see pictures of a house that's taken on somebody's cell phone and it's all dark and it just looks shitty, like I'm now I'm good. <laughs> so that's, that's and, totally true, man. If you get, there's, there's a lot to be said for getting professional pictures done when you're selling or renting or doing whatever. I think that goes overlooked quite a bit. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's the first mistake, you know, the, we kind of talk about this four pillars of, um, short-term rental success. And the first is make it pop. So have a property, you know, put some clean paint on it, put some clean furniture in it, get out, you know, the old furniture and the, the Afghans and the rugs and the dead animals and oilies, we call it, and then spend two, $300 and get a professional real estate photographer to take mm-hmm. high def HTR, HDR photos, you know, and when we, we would do that for our $500,000 house or $800,000 house, and that's just to get people in the door. When a short-term rental, your photos are the entire imaging. You know, they don't come see it. And then right. they're booking off of the photos and the imagery. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a huge point. You know, I mean, people don't go tour an Airbnb before they decide whether or not they're going to rent one. And <clears throat> the pictures are huge. You know, I would imagine another one of your pillars is social proof through the point of reviews and making sure that you're soliciting feedback from people who have stayed at that property and had positive experiences so that you can feature that as well. I'm interested in the other things that you guys look at, though, because to me, the pictures thing is common sense. But right. It's like anything else, man. You know, there's a lot of people who do what I do for a living. That doesn't mean they're all good. Right. In fact, you know, I'm noted, I travel the country speaking. And one of the things that I talk about is how I got into the insurance industry. I ran grocery stores and super targets <laughs> for 10 years before I, I got into uh, middle market commercial in my early 30s. And the reason I got in is because the guy who who ended up being my mentor told me, he said, David, the insurance industry is full of average people. They're C players. They do just enough to get by and don't do any more because it's so easy to be average and make good money in this industry that you don't have to push yourself. You don't have to try to be the absolute best. But if you're an A player and you come into this industry, you will absolutely dominate all of the all of the people that you're competing against because you're going to be going on sales calls. You're going to be dialing for dollars to book appointments. You're going to be answering the phone and handling service issues and things with your book of business while your competitors are playing golf or at the 19th hole or at happy hour with their buddies or whatever else. And certainly there comes a point in each of our careers where we graduate to the level that we can afford. We, we can be afforded a little bit of flexibility in our schedule. I choose to cast my lot in time with my family as opposed to other things, but I got to believe this is no different, man. You know, there's so many people that just say, got to hurry up and get this listing done. Got to hurry up and get it up. And, you know, they take, like you said, pictures with their cell phone or whatever else, where is if you step back and you just take that extra little bit of time to just make that listing absolutely perfect, the amount of, of efficiency I imagine you would get 
if you look at the number of views in, in, and how many people book as a percentage has yep. to be much, much higher. For your edification, I've written a couple of books myself, and my first one was titled The Extra Two Minutes. And it, <laughs> that's the entire premises is right. if you literally just take two more minutes to do the job the right way, you're going to put yourself so far ahead of your competition. It's crazy, but it doesn't require a huge investment of time or money to do that. It just is a willingness to take the extra little bit. That's exactly what we teach, right? You know, um, how to go that extra mile and how to think like a business person and think like you're in the hospitality industry. So again, a lot of people will, you know, put up a listing and they don't behave you know, in a very professional business oriented manner, right? They're not marketing, they're not responding to customers in a business, you know, they're looking at everything through kind of a personal lens. This is my house and, and that customer, that, that guest might be annoying. So if, if we take a professional business approach to our listing and a hospitality approach to our listing, yeah, we're going to stand head and shoulders above. And again, back to this, you know, like your A, B, and C players, in the short-term rental, you're your own page one, or you're or you're or you're not, right? You're on page one. You're being seen, or you know, there's 280 people that aren't ever being seen, and that's why most most listings, you know, range in like the 50% occupancy, and we maintain you know 95% occupancy as, as a goal, um, and as a result for for all of our listings and all the people that I work with. So is it as simple? You know, I, I don't know the back end of Airbnb in, in these other short-term rentals. Um, is it is it the same general philosophy that if you've got the right keywords in your listing and all of that, it will help show up? Or is there something different in the algorithm um, that, that gets mm -hmm. you in that top part? I, I would imagine occupancy percent, if there that's a thing. I mean, obviously that's going to push you to the top because it's a property that's more in demand, I would think. Um, but talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So if you if you think from the platform's perspective, what do they what, what do they care about? What are they interested in? Well, you they want their on, cut. <laughs> well, you, and you touched on the first one before, which was be a great host, be really good, and get great reviews, right? So they want satisfied guests, travelers, but they also want their cut. So if I show your listing and you can um, continually don't close on that lead, right? That showing, then I'm not going to show you at the top anymore. So you, you nailed it, David, it's occupancy. So we call it pricing for occupancy. And one of the ways that we do this, we use an online tool, a third party pricing tool. There's several out there. The one that I use is called Price Labs. And this is really kind of cool. What it does is it connects to your listing. You set a base price, call it $200 a night. The tool then interfaces with Airbnb or VRBO, whomever, and knows specifically what the demand is like on any given day. So our search is up 200% in Orlando because there's a concert coming or a festival coming somewhere or a gra college graduation. Or mm -hmm. in our market, it's just the leaves are turning beautiful this time of year. And so searches are up 300%. The software then knows that and adjusts the price for you dynamically, automatically, so that instead of the base price being 200 a night, well, next Friday and Saturday night in the middle of November are five or $600 a night. Hmm. So that's where you get the higher revenue, but also next Tuesday, if I'm 
open, if I'm unbooked next Tuesday and Wednesday night, it may discount that $200 base down to say 150, 149, whatever the case may be. And that's where you get the occupancy. And from that 100% occupancy, now that you've taught the algorithm, you've taught the platform that I can close that sale, I can close that, that viewing. And so I'm going to show you more often because as the platform, that's how I generate my cut, my 15%. And that's a huge point too, because I would imagine that that's one of the biggest issues for people is trying to figure out how to how to price it. And, and if it's not getting booked, okay, now what do you do? It's like when you're selling a house. I mean, it, we just went through this. It's like you, you list it at a certain price and then you have some traffic, but no offers. And you're like, well, what the hell? And you drop it down a little bit and you have to play that game. That's really nice to have the analytics behind that and have it really kind of you know updated dynamically, as you said. And so what most people do with that $200 rate is they set it and forget it, right? And so right. now they've underpriced you know, that, that weekend where the colors are beautiful or the festival's coming or they could have got five, $600 a night and they've overpriced the Tuesday, Wednesday of next week. And so they go unbooked and then they, they end up with, you know, at a 50% occupancy rate and they fall down the listings and then they get frustrated and they get out of the business. Hmm. So I think too, you know, and I imagine this is baked into um, each individual site, but one thing that I was kind of impressed with, and I, this speaks to what we were just talking about, you know, we, we did an Airbnb or a VRBO. I, I'm like you, I'm just going to use them interchangeably because I don't want to have to remember the names of all of them. <laughs> I don't even know the names, all of them. Airbnb seems to be the, seems oh, to be the one, right? Um, but we had booked a trip and we booked a trip for five days instead of seven. I mean, but five was, was acceptable with the listing, but that left a gap for that own, that unit owner. And so, um, you know, about a week to a week and a half before our trip was coming up, they put us into a drip email campaign, letting us know that if we wanted to extend our stay, we could add, you know, I don't remember if it was on the front or the back, but a day or two, and it was at a discounted price. Yep. It made the offer very attractive for us. I mean, our schedule didn't allow us to do it, but if if we were able to, to your point, it was like probably half of what we paid for the other time. I would have definitely been inclined to extend my stay based off of that. It just didn't work out right. based on our scheduling. So is that something that when you create your listing, you have to set all of that up inside the parameters does that have, you know, machine learning yeah. that's going to say, look, based on other listings, we recommend you do this. So you just yeah. approve yes or no or whatever. Yeah. You've touched on two really powerful strategies there. One is a manual strategy that I do employ also, which is if it's a, one of my larger units. So if it's like a three or a four bedroom type place, I will, in the larger units, I have a, a, a two night minimum. So all right, we'll start with strategy one, which is from an automated perspective, yes, the software, if you have what's called an ORFIT, let's say we have a two-night minimum, but we've got uh, a booking in between that two-night minimum, right? those two two-night stays. So the software will, in the case of what we call an ORFIN, open that night for a one-night booking at a predetermined price. Hmm. I don't allow one-night bookings for a one-night individual group in larger places like three and four bedrooms. And I'll employ the strategy, David, that you recommended there or mentioned, which is I will personally reach out to them and say, yeah, should you be inclined to extend, we could offer you a very attractive rate. And it's usually somewhere like in the half. 
hmm. just to keep it full. So now, yeah, you've made an extra $150. You paid your utilities for the month. You've got a really happy guest, as you said, because you were really enticed by that lower price. So you get a better review and you filled your calendar and you know the platform gets to make uh, uh, their additional fees. So that, yeah, that's, that's a really good strategy. It's interesting because you know I'm entrepreneurial, I'm in sales. And my goal would be to be at 100%, right? Anything less than that to me, uh, I haven't done my job. So I think I would probably be over neurotic about trying to make sure that I had that occupancy percent, especially since, you know, it seems to be so heavily weighted for where your property is placed inside each one of these platforms. What what are some other things that, that you look, that you're able to do that, I don't want to say manipulate, but to strategically get yourself seen uh, to, to increase that, that percentage? Do you, do you do like paid Google ads or anything external to each of these platforms? Or are you pretty much just relying on the fact that at this day and age, we're all trained to, to go to Airbnb and filter by city of where we're looking for in size or price range or whatever. I'm just, I'm interested in what that looks mm-hmm. like. Yeah. You've touched on something there um, tangentially, which is what I call sole platform. So I do do some things. So I have a website for my properties and I do run some Facebook targeted ads to that website. That website um, then clicks through, you know, I have each of the properties listed, but they click directly through to my Airbnb listing, right? So I'm not trying to take them off platform. I'm not trying to put them, um, you know, through a direct booking. I am spending a little bit, about $300 a month usually, um, to get some additional views uh, through my advertising, through my website to Airbnb. I don't uh, recommend multiple platforms. A lot of people, this is just kind of a common misconception where people say, well, if it's free, right? Why shouldn't I be, I'm going to get more views if I'm on three different platforms. And based on the logic that we've already talked about here, you're not necessarily going to get more views. You're probably going to get less views spreading your you know, your juice across three platforms because you're going to be in, you know, the hundredth position on three platforms because you're not making money for any of them. Hmm. Interesting. So that's kind of a common thing where people think, well, it's free. You know, why wouldn't I want to be, you know, in three or four different places, but it's sort of like spreading yourself too thin. You know, all your reviews are spread across three places. Six different carriers and only one of them gets the, (laughs) gets the policy at the end of the year. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's what we're used to dealing with in our industry, right? You yeah. know, and, and it goes back to, it's kind of a, of a reverse of positioning because um, it's our clients. And a lot of times your client doesn't understand in the insurance industry that they have their own marketplace reputation. Honestly, that's what you're talking about is your property's reputation in the marketplace. Because if I'm somebody who's going to, who's looking to take my family on vacation and I go to four different places and I see that you have that property listed on all four, my first thoughts probably going to be, wow, this guy's having a hard time rent this place out. He's got to be everywhere in order for people to see it. And it's going to make me less inclined to want to take my family there. But if I go and I see that you're only on Airbnb and you're only in the top three positions, that's who I, that, I mean, that's where I want to spend my money. You know, if I'm going to take my family on a nice vacation, I want to make sure I'm taking my family on a nice vacation and that we're not going to reduce, not that we're the aristocracy by any stretch, but we have certain standards that we want to live to. 
And I'm not going to reduce those just because I'm going and staying somewhere else. It's one of the reasons why we stay at the Ritz Carlton when we stay at a hotel. I think a lot of people think that uh, Airbnb guests are all price shoppers and, and they're, they're not necessarily, you know, um, my properties tend to be on the higher end and they, uh, you know, the higher end of the price spectrum, you know, in the 80, 90 percentile of pricing people, particularly post COVID, right. People want to go have a nice experience, right. Mm-hmm. They've, you know, they don't necessarily, they're not trying to stay in the Motel 6, right? They want right. to go somewhere that is unique. It's different. Maybe there's a great view. Maybe there's a hot tub, you know, some hanging basket chairs. People are looking for experiences and amenities. And it's not just vacation, guys. I get a lot of, you know, people are working from home these days and realizing they don't have to work from their home. Hmm. It's interesting. Well, I mean, we just had... Meg McKean on the podcast that that episode dropped a couple of weeks ago. And this is a lady who had a tenured career working for an insurance carrier and then went to the agency side. Now she has a consulting firm, but she's essentially, she calls herself a a digital nomad. She literally will go stay in a short-term rental for a period of 30 days in a city that she wants to go to and just network with insurance agents and people from across the country while she's there. But you don't know where she's going to be. She doesn't even know where she's going to be probably from one month to the next, which, you know, that's, that's really cool and kind of crazy at the same time when you think about it. Like, I don't know too many people that have the ability to just simply detach from the norm and go do something like that. Now, if I didn't have four children, I could see my wife and I doing something like that. But to your point, it allows people who now that we are working from home and, and what COVID has taught us about how we can operate digitally and meet over Zoom and everything, People can do both, man. You can travel and work at the same time. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've seen so many friends of mine that literally don't even, they don't block themselves off as technically being on vacation because they just go to the destination. They work the hours that they want to work. And then when they don't, they block those hours on their calendar, but it allows them to get the best of both worlds. And I think that's huge because you're probably getting people who have the expendable income to pull those things off. And, and it's not, I don't know. I just know you're not going to stay at the motel six <laughs> on a Ritz Carlton budget and vice versa, but yeah, you know, it's one of the things we had an issue. We had an issue with the Ritz the last time we stayed there over in Orlando and I wasn't happy about it. We went over there. It was specifically for celebrating the launch of my, my second book that came out on September 8th, which is coincidentally my birthday. And we went over there to celebrate those things. And my wife had called them ahead of time and said, look, this is a really big day. It's my husband's 49th birthday. His new book is launching and I want to do something nice for him. He's always the guy doing stuff for other people, but no, you know, I I never get to do anything for him. So I'd like to have a bottle of champagne in the room with some balloons. And I'd like to have either a cake or some decorated cookies that are blue and gold because those are our company colors. And I use that consistently across all of my brands. And so- I didn't know anything about this, right? It was supposed to be a surprise, but her one thing was this has to be done when we before we check in and get up to the room because I want it to be a surprise for him. Well, we check in, we get up to the room, it isn't there. I don't know any different, right? At this point, I still don't know any different. And all of a sudden, Annie's just furious. She is livid. <laughs> she is beyond angry. You're like, what the hell? What do I do? Yeah. So that was the first, that was the first problem. The second one was we went to their nice restaurant and I got Wagyu steak for dinner, 
but we had been out in the pool at the pool all day and I really wasn't that hungry. So I decided, you know what? I got like three quarters of my steak and three quarters of my sides left. I'm just going to package them up and I'll, I'll reheat them to, I'll take them home. We have a cooler with us. I'll, I'll reheat them when I get home tomorrow, we get home and my leftovers weren't in the bag. They never gave me, they, they took it to the back to box it. So now I, I didn't have my dinner either. And it was a relatively expensive dinner. Now, as you can imagine, the Ritz was bending over backwards. They fell all over themselves to make this right. Okay. And and I so when I when I was dealing with the general manager, my messaging to him was listen, man, I realize this probably comes across as petty, right? You know, the, these in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal to you that that my um my my champagne and cookies weren't there, but it was a huge deal to my wife. Probably not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things that my leftovers weren't in there. Certainly, I'm not going to miss a meal, but it kind of compounded the issue. And the 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 real the real issue here is if you guys didn't set the bar so damn high as to what we <laughs> expect, stuff like this wouldn't wouldn't be on the radar, right? You know, sure. but we expect perfection when we go there, and quite frankly, that's what we pay for. If I didn't want the Ritz Carlton experience. I would stay at Motel 6. Right. Yeah. Fundamentally, they're the same thing. It's a place for me to sleep overnight when I'm traveling or wanting to get away. And you check in, you check out, you pay your bill, you know, you take, you, you, but it's the experience of when you're there and what they expect. And I have to believe it is somebody who is a student of marketing and have been for my entire life that you have to somehow create in, in in the average person's mind looking for a property that Ritz Carlton experience they have to envision that from whether it be from the copyright the copy that you write for your listing to like you said the actual pictures to the social proof and other people talking about you know how great of an experience they had there we look at that stuff right and then the other thing is when we went, so when we booked the last Airbnb we did, it's been about a year since we've done it. They had a guest book there. We read it. Like they yeah. had a guest book that you <laughs> could sign and talk about. We picked it up and we looked. Part of the reason why is because we had friends who had stayed in that exact unit before and we wanted to see if they signed the guest book. We were being nosy, but we started reading the reviews. I mean, what a what an easy thing to do. All you have to do is leave it there. But how many properties have that? That's the only, that's probably the second Airbnb out of dozens of Airbnbs I've stayed in that actually had a guest book that solicited. I feel like that part probably died in the digital age here mm -hmm. and, and they just try to do it online only. But I get what you're saying. It's it's definitely something to be said for being able to But the people just... who write in that book are not the same people that no, would take the time to go do it on the review. Yeah, I know. They do it when they've got like a lazy afternoon and they happen to walk by it and they're like, yeah, let me leave some comments. We've had a good time this week or whatever it, else. It's interesting that you mentioned Ritz-Carlton. There's a great book. I think it's something like the Ritz-Carlton experience. And it we is. That's what, they, that's what they give you. When you complain to them, they give you a copy of the Ritz-Carlton experience to read. Okay. And I'm a little bit of a smart aleck. I, I, when I was dealing with the general manager, I said, I apologize, but I, I'm afraid you gave the book you meant to give your person. team to, to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah, know so what we the read Ritz Carlton experience is that I expect. Thank you. Yeah, we read and studied that and wrote basically kind of a, a coach, I'm sorry, a, a, a host motto, credo, principles, you know, in the book for people to follow to, to achieve that same level. We say it all the time, you know, we're, we're charging Ritz Carlton prices and we need to deliver Ritz Carlton experience. Hmm. So 
I've got 25,000 people a month that download this podcast. And I know there is a nice chunk of them that's got some money burning a hole in their pocket. And they're looking to get in, invested into something. Real estate always comes up because it's one of the most stable, long-term investments you can make. What, what's some advice that you would give to somebody who's looking yeah. to just start out? Aside from read your book, which we'll get to yeah. that in a minute. Well, you know, we say find your where, right? So where is it that you, David, or you, Kyle, where do you go if you had a long weekend, right? Where would you take you know, a significant other, what's a romantic getaway, what's a family getaway. Within a couple of hours drive from every major metropolitan area, there's either lakes, rivers, woods, wineries, you know, ski resorts. Where do people like to go? Mm-hmm. And, you know, how does that fit your particular passions? Maybe you're into snowboarding, maybe you're into wineries, uh, maybe you're into, you know, hiking. Find the place within a couple hours drive from your you know, home base that you can be passionate about. You know, some people come to me and say, well, I heard this market in Denver or this market in Miami or this market, you know, in St. Louis is hot. Don't chase the hot market, chase your passion, chase where you, you know, would like to go and spend some time. And here's the thing with short-term rentals, you do have to spend a little time there. You're going to get this house and you're going to want to do some renovations. You're going to want to sleep over in it a little bit. So A, you want to be passionate about it, but B, you want to be able to get to it and go do some work there and get it ready for the market. A good yeah, point. I mean, I, I would tell you that my approach to this has been very, very simple. Is it a place that I like and would I like to spend time there? I mean, it's really, right. honestly, that's how I look at it. Because to me, if I can pick up real estate and have a short-term rental, so let's just say Scottsdale, for example, it's a extremely hot real estate market, probably not the best place for me to be looking for an Airbnb right now. But you know, I have business in Arizona. I have um, ownership in some companies that are domiciled in the Phoenix area. My oldest son likes that area a lot, and he and I have talked about it. But that would be a place that if I were to buy an air a property to use as a short term rental, I would use it because number right. one, it's a place where I could stay when I'm there, which makes it convenient, but also use it for a short term rental in the times that I'm not. And then I look yep. at other things like, you know, they have spring training there. So obviously that's a great time to have short term rentals because higher end, you might even be re- uh, renting to the players themselves yeah. mm-hmm. or you know, just super fans that are going out to, to watch their teams. It, it's just interesting. I just, I never really felt like, I needed to make it any more than where do I want to go and visit? And, and that's it. Like, And that's interesting because I, I would think that a lot of people don't do it that way. I would think a lot of people view it as just an investment opportunity and where can I you know, get a piece of property that people are going to want to go to. But if, if you have that personal attachment to it, I think it allows you to be a little bit more passionate about it and put more effort into it. Yep. Well, it's one of the main reasons why Key West is on our radar. I mean, you're not going to get anything at all cheap down there, but I need you to do that so I can stop staying at these bullshit places for these bachelor <laughs> parties because I, this uh, I, this this happened a couple of weeks ago. So I'm, I'm leaving uh, on Thursday for a, another bachelor's to be the second one in like as many months to to Key West, and the place that we're staying at this go round is like this tiny little duplex. There's be eight dudes. There's two bedrooms. And like one bathroom. And I'm like, bro, I didn't like look at this initially when you guys were deciding where we were going to go and everything, but I will, I will pay the difference to be in like a sicker spot where we have our own pool. There's like three or four, you know, 
three or four bedrooms and bathrooms and all that, like I would just much rather be comfortable and have a great experience than save 500 bucks for the weekend. I'm like, dude, (laughs) so, you know, it's, um, so we're talking about these markets. Let me just kind of, um, intervene with some, uh, value for the, for the listeners too, which is, let's say you're out there and you're thinking about Phoenix or, or, uh, Scottsdale or Key West or wherever it is, how can you determine, you know, how can you get more information about that market? So there's a tool that we use called air DNA. All right, so you go there, uh, it starts for free. You can plug in your market and they give you a little bit of information. Then you can subscribe to it. And it's very in- inexpensive. It's like, depends on the market, but let's call it like $25 a month. And it's going to give you what's the investability like, which means the ratio of house price to average rental. It's going to give you the average daily rates. It's going to give you the seasonality, the occupancy, the regulatory environment. How many listings are there? What platforms are they on? And so if, if, if the listeners are out there thinking about any of these markets and thinking, how do I take a next step to determine if that's a good market or not? How do I move this forward from just a good idea listening to a podcast? Go to AirDNA and you know, plunk down the 25 bucks. You can, you can subscribe and then unsubscribe a month later. It's not a big deal. You're going to get a lot of value and a lot of data about the market that's going to be actionable to help you move forward, making a decision or not. Yeah, I think the other thing too, and, and if you're somebody who has no exposure to this, and I by no means, like I'm still an armchair quarterback um, for all practical purposes, I've done some level of research. But, you know, the other thing that I think people need to consider or, or look into is how does licensing work in the area that you're looking to invest? Because, you know, in Key West, for example, you have to be, you have to buy a property that's already got a transient licensed license attached to it because they're not issuing new ones or it's just so it's such a pain to get one that you're better served getting one and it will transfer to new ownership mm-hmm. but the other thing is that comes with its own set of limitations you can only you're uh, you're supposed to only rent that property 25 weeks out of the year that's the limitation in Key West if you have if you don't have the transient license the difference is that your minimum um, consecutive days rented is like 28 days. So you can buy a property and not have a transient license, but you have to rent that place an entire month at a time, Hmm. or you go get the transient license, but still realistically, if they were to check up on you, you could get in trouble. If you're, if you're, you're violating the terms, they, they only want you renting it 25 weeks out of the year on a short-term basis as an Hmm. investor. And by the way, it doesn't matter what you're going to buy down there. It starts at a million dollars. So, you know, if if I'm going to get a townhouse in Truman Annex, that's a million, or I'm going to go get a single family home that's 3 million, I need to understand the difference in the average demographic of the renter too, because, you know, you're going to get people that come in there on the short term for five days. And you'll be lucky if you you know don't have holes in your drywall and everything else by the time they leave, because they're all getting tanked on Duval and then coming back and you're dealing with the fallout in your property every week. Whereas if you have the long term, you know, those things are renting out for like 20 to $30,000 for a month. You get a much different buyer yeah. at that point than on the short-term side. So that's also something, even though technically you could classify that month at a time is short term over a 12 month as opposed to a 12 month lease, two very different demographics of people who, who engage in that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, then there's other places where if you have, and I mean, this is just speaking to the fact you really need to do your research if you're going to do this, but there are other places where, 
you know, like even Key West, for example, there's a military base down there. There are there are military officers that get stationed there for two years that are looking to cut a deal and they'll just sign a two year lease on your property if the terms and conditions are right. And all of my friends that have property in Key West said, that's like the Holy Grail, man. That's Willy Wonka's <laughs> golden ticket. If you can get somebody to do that, it's government money. That money is wired into your account at exactly the same time every single month. You never have to worry about getting paid. You never have to worry about the condition of the property. I mean, it's just, it's crazy when you start going down these rabbit holes, how many different things you can really, you know, research to understand which just tells me i'm not ready to pull the trigger until i have yeah, I was more say, that seems, to that seems overwhelming <laughs> right you know and where you start there is is go find a real estate agent that uh that gets it right that um you know that understands what your goals are not to you know live there but to, to have an investment property um and but Colin, you have know. to understand, man, insurance agents are the most fickle group of people <laughs> on the face of the earth because they're the first people to bitch and moan when somebody goes online and gets a quote to buy their insurance and they cut the real estate or the insurance agent out. Why do we complain about that? Oh, because we have special knowledge and they need us to be available to service them. And we, we can answer questions that a computer can't. We can make sure that we give them the proper advice for limits and deductibles and all of those other things, right? We do those things, but then guess what? If we want to go and buy real estate or something like that, the first thing we want to do is cut the real estate agent out of the middle <laughs> because we want to save that money. We somehow forget that we complain when it's done to us, but we turn around and do the exact same thing. And that's just one example that I see over and over again, but it's, it's a realistic one. And your advice is good advice. I would never think about going to try and purchase property doing a for sale by owner or anything without a, a representation. I couldn't imagine somebody who's having, proven themselves Yeah, and, and not just proven themselves as a good real estate agent, but a real estate agent who specializes in short term, you know, short term rental properties. Right. So, you know, because the regulation can happen at a state level, a county level, a municipality level, or even at an HOA level. So I was just helping a, a client and he sent me a place and he said, what about this? And I said, I know that neighborhood and I know that neighborhood has regulations against short-term rentals. So, you know, it could be anywhere. It doesn't have to be Key West, you know, any town, it could go down to the neighborhood level where, you know, there was restrictions on the short-term rental. So yeah, find an agent that can check out those things for you. And that's their job. They're happy to go do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's how they get paid. And it, I mean, look, you'd be a fool to self-represent in court. You'd be a fool to do your own taxes. We go get a CPA for that. Don't yeah. don't stop using professionals outside of those two because I I, know, I learned a long time ago. There's plenty of smarter people on the face of this <laughs> planet than me. Number one and number two, when it comes down to you know areas of expertise, I want an expert. I don't want somebody who yeah. dabbles. I don't want that. I don't want that person, you know, that you meet on your kid's little league team who hands you a card and says, yeah, I do a little real estate on the side. <laughs> no, that's not who I want. I want the person that's placed thousands of short-term rental policies over the course of their 10-year career or whatever. And, and they're going to know absolutely the best because while I may pay more for them, I'm ultimately going to make more because of that. Right. And, yeah. and they may know, you know, you said the 28 days. And it's the, easier. Like you don't have to, I, having just gone through this process with buying and selling a home, this, I mean, this is the third one. This is our third home. I would never, like it just such a massive headache 
of going back and forth and just all the other little things that I don't know about, don't have time to learn about, or don't want to learn about. Like, I, I mean, it's just, it is crazy. You're hundred percent right. I think, I think this industry does do that on, <laughs> on various things. That's definitely one of them. So host coach, talk about the book for a second. What led you to write the book? Let's see. So, you know, we had this information and what happened was friends were kind of coming to me, noticing what was going on. And uh, so I helped a couple of friends get into the business, just kind of showed that my processes and systems were repeatable in different markets. And I got kind of excited about that and trying to figure out how I would share that, you know, that information and started doing a little speaking basically for real estate agent offices. And the first one was a Keller Williams office down in Williamsburg. And they said, yeah, we, we got a bunch of investors down here. A lot of us have short-term rentals come down here and, and teach us. And that made me organize the, all my thoughts into kind of a nice you know, 90 minute outline for a presentation, which then just became the outline for the book. And we just put our heads down and, you know, included in the book. I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of books about Airbnb. You can go to Amazon, you'll find 50 plus books. What I'll tell you is they're all book reports. You know, here's the features of of the website. Our book is our real life stories and processes. We call it a blueprint. It is step by step what we do to find property. You know, the things that we, you know, I mean, down to like, how do you find a housekeeper? You know, that kind of stuff, right? The the tips and tricks that we do, you know, to have scaled our business, it's it's all in there. And and we wrote it, you know. Like anybody who's written a book, you don't make millions of dollars selling books. You, you help people and it gives you a good platform to help more people. So everything is in the book that you, you, you would need to know uh, to get started. And then, you know, you can reach out to us directly if you need some more uh, personalized advice. Well, oh. listen, people, as we do literally every single time, we have an author that has written a book come on the podcast we are going to give away 10 copies of host coach to the first 10 people who email me as always special instructions, send it to David at killingcommercial.com, David at killingcommercial.com. And in the subject line, not the body of the email people, (laughs) come on people subject line so that I can sort by subject, write host coach. And I will get copies of that book out to you as quick as I get your request. So I hope everybody has the opportunity to read that. I know that I will um, as I'm actively in this process right now. So look forward to seeing any tips and tricks that um, maybe I haven't thought of or we haven't discussed on the podcast. But anything that we haven't talked about you wanted to, to bring up or mention before we wrap this thing up? No, that's most of it. You know, and just the the last part is just keep an eye on your reviews, keep an eye on your guests. Um, your guests will tell you the neat thing about short-term rentals is we're making this property perfect every three days, every 2.3 days, right? So unlike when I have long-term rentals, you know, you go in at the end of you know a year and you know the place is in you know bad condition or not great condition, and you do it with a short-term rental, every two and a half days, we are just making it perfect. You know, so you're really improving the process, you know, so we're always keep little lists. We go through our reviews, the guests say, you know, the pans weren't good or the lighting wasn't good. Or, so we just keep a little list and we're just always making those um, improvements, which I think really forces appreciation in the property as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know what your strategy is or what it looks like, but I could imagine that if somebody, let's just say the pots and pans, for example, somebody complained about that and you go and see that in fact, they probably are a little bit more worn than what you would like them to be to give some give somebody the experience you want them to have. 
I could imagine that you can gain a lot of credibility in how you respond to that stuff too. Like I'm not the type of person who has a problem with, I have a problem with a bad review. Okay. But I also feel like you can actually get more power out of how you respond to a bad review than you having a hundred percent perfect reviews because people aren't going to believe that, but they are going to believe it. If somebody says, listen, I stayed at this place, the pots and the pans, they, you know, they just, they weren't where they needed to be. We, we couldn't cook our meals. As a result, we ended up having to go out to eat more than we wanted to. And it's kind of put a damper, uh, you know, I, I could just see how this scenario unfolds, but I also could see that from my perspective, I would probably reach back out to that person and say, look, I wanted to let you know, we took your, uh, re- we, we, we heard your review. We've taken corrective action. We actually got new pots and pans for the unit. Wanted to send you a picture of what they look like. Right. But in addition, check your email because I've just sent you a code that you can save X percent off of your next rental on this property so that you can come back and experience it the way that we would want you to. Right. Right. It's going to be yeah. very rare that somebody comes and it's had such a horrible experience that the entire trip was just completely ruined. Right. Right. People want to be That's- heard, you know, and there's private feedback and public feedback. So, you know, during the stay, the guests can send you a message. We always send a message 24 hours after their check-in and say, how's everything going? You know, give us an opportunity to let us know if anything's not perfect. And then, so they can message you during the stay. And when they give a review, they can leave a public review, but they can also leave you private comments. And you would be surprised how gracious most people are. And they'll say, hey, look, we didn't put this in the public review, but yeah, the pots and pans really should get updated. And we're like, awesome. Thanks. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I want that feedback. Like if somebody, I would rather somebody tell me than tell 10 of their friends. Yeah. And as well, long yeah, as- I mean, and, and you're the one that's going to do something about it. Not their, not their friends. I mean, you know. And, and the other the thing is, you know, the sharing economy, think about like Uber, right? When Uber first came out, people were like, that's not safe. You know, I'm going to ride with just somebody, you know, I've never had an unnice friend, unkindly Uber driver, right? Because they're being reviewed by us, right? And we're being reviewed by them. Same kind of thing on the sharing platforms, right? People tend to be on good behavior because they know that they're going to get reviewed and it's going to be public. And, you know, I know a lot of people like, you, know, yeah. you, you don't want to screw up your Uber, you know, review, you know, you're not going to get picked up. You don't really want to screw up, particularly like younger people who spend a lot more time in Airbnbs really, you know, that's, that's an important piece of kind of like social credit, right. That, uh, that they uh, maintain a good standing. So, um, you know, you, you get that opportunity in the sharing economy to have people kind of performing on their, you know, their best behaviors, both as hosts and guests. Good stuff, yeah, I man. Think, yeah, I think too, you know, to your point that the, the reviews go both ways. So you, you also have to worry about your, your reputation as a renter as well. If you're known as the guy that's just going to bring some of his buddies over and blow it out over a weekend and you leave the place in shambles, that's only going to happen once or twice before yep. you're pretty much not going to be able to rent on that platform anymore. Yep. True. All right. Good deal. Well, listen, I mean, we've been going right about an hour. It's probably about time to wrap this up. I want to be sensitive to everybody's time again, David at killingcommercial.com and the subject line host coach. I will get you a copy of Cullen's book. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Cullen Tate. He's the author of host coach and a crazy amount of knowledge on short-term rentals. I would encourage you to request a copy of his book. And if you have questions, he's already opened the door. 
reach out to them. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you, Colin? Uh, either uh, Instagram, if you're into social media, it's just host underscore coach, or uh, my website is just hostcoach.co, and you can schedule a Calendly there to to speak with us or or send an email. Awesome, oh. sounds good. People, hostcoach.co, not com. Make sure you <laughs> mm. make the distinction. Everybody, we will catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 